Hi, this is Bill Allerton from Urban Tiger Radio again. My guest in conversation today is Steve Solfield, medicine man, musician, excellent at both from what I gather. This is Steve blowing us in with Thought from his CD Free Thought by Solfield Chandler. Now, there was one thing Steve forgot to tell me while we were recording the initial conversation and that's that Steve's had one or two close brushes with fame, one of which was at the time when he played with Brian Ferry. He borrowed Brian's flat to entertain his longtime girlfriend who became the love of his life. Brian unfortunately forgot and about three o'clock in the morning climbed back in through the bedroom window. Now that's one we could have sold to the news of the world. So I hope you'll excuse me not introing our conversation piece with Andy Whitehouse's Almost Home. But Andy, if you're listening, Steve is a fan of yours. So let's talk to Steve Solfield. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Bill. Right, now Steve is a saxophonist par excellence, and I first met you was probably about five years ago, was it? This was in uh, Edale. It would have been in Edale, yes, yeah. yeah. Cotton Grass Theatre. Right. What yeah. were they playing there? We were doing a, a play, well, Cotton Grass Theatre was doing this play about uh, Dorothy Parker, the American writer, um, wrote in lots of uh, magazines and short stories and so on. And she was extremely witty, very political, very sexy and very clever generally. Um, and a friend of mine, David Fredrickson, who is a part of Cotton Grass Theatre, wrote this play based on her life. And we'd been talking for years about, uh, David and I had, about uh, doing some kind of collaboration. So uh, he, he came up with, with this play and um, Dorothy Parker being from the so-called from the jazz age, we decided to um, combine the play with a jazz trio playing music from the times when she was around, from yeah. that era. What was the yeah. play called? Uh, you might as well live. Well, you might as well. Yes, which was one of her, in, in one of her sayings. Yes. Yeah, actually, I've seen this play about three times now. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I remember I photographed you. I don't think it was at Edie. I think it was Cole Aston. Where you you did it at Cole Aston. You did some beautiful photographs of us. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. I yeah. still see them on the Cotton Grass website now and again. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a really good one of you. Well, I like to think it's a really good one anyway. Mm. I know Jackie liked it. So mm. so tell me a little bit about how you began with the sax. This is going back really to my youth. I, I always loved uh, playing music, right, from being a, a child, really. So, I, But I've gone on to the sax. I was, I was already playing flute, and I was playing mostly classical at that time, I was in the Derbyshire Youth Orchestra and the school orchestra and things like that. But I wanted to get into, involved in rock and roll. And at that time, uh, I didn't really think that the flute was the right instrument. So uh, I was also playing guitar a bit, but I decided have a go at sax and see if I could get involved in some uh, rock and roll bands. Well, we've and, just had a discussion about, about me, actually, about me sort of as an aspirational journalist in in my youth. Yes. And it's taken me until now to sort of get anywhere near near the subject. Yeah. Now, I gather you've actually started to develop a rock and roll band as well as your jazz. 
I've been involved in a rock and roll band. We call ourselves the Backseat Jivers. Right. Uh, Jivers, that is, not drivers. I've been involved with that band for many years, and we used to play a lot in, in and around Sheffield at uh, Trippets and so on. And we were all based in Sheffield or near Sheffield. People dissipated around the country, and the band kind of um, went into hibernation. But recently, in the last year or two, we've decided to get together again and um, play some more rock and roll. Right. So we've got some gigs coming up. We've got some gigs coming up. Um, well, we've got some gigs coming up in uh, just over a week. Right. Um, Where can we find out about them? Good question. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll post a list. Yes. With this podcast, so uh, because yes. I, I know I have. There's just two gigs. There's one in one in Winster. Yeah. And we're doing a new show, which is uh, about the early history of rock and roll, we're calling the show "From the Blues to the Beatles," and it turns out, although I've known the singer in the band, well, we were at school together. I've known him pretty well all my life. I didn't realise what an expert he is on rock and roll, uh, and the, and its history. This is a friend of mine called Clive Harvey. So we've uh, put together this show, tracing the early history of rock and roll, trying to identify where it first began, and then playing music as uh, as the story progresses, playing music from different musicians, from different uh, rock and roll icons, I suppose you'd say. Yeah. Um, so we're doing that show. It'll be the first time we've done it, and we're going to do it in Winster in the Village Hall. And it's on uh, Saturday the 21st of April 2018. And then the next day, we're doing another gig in uh, Bakewell. Where's uh, that? This is at Bakewell Town Hall. And that will be... But that one isn't doing the show. That's a straightforward uh, gig. But this time, it's with a dance uh, teacher. So the jive teacher. So people can jive. So if anyone wants to get up and jive along, they yeah. can be shown how to do it That's the right. proper way. Well, Not that I don't think there is a proper way. Well, it's about, well I don't know. <laughs> it's about don't letting know, go of your inhibitions. There are, there are uh, what shall we say, conventions, yeah. different dances, different ways of jiving, which I don't know much about. But um, yeah. yeah, so we'll be playing there, yeah. Right, so you left you left school and joined, well, you, you were in the Derbyshire Youth Orchestra mm-hmm. while you were still at school. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you left school, what did you go on to become at that point? Well, I was having a I should say, let me say, a, an internal tussle about whether to be a, a doctor or a jazz musician. I can see that one. Yeah, and uh, in the end, um, good sense prevailed, and I went into medicine. But before going to university, I had pretty well a year off because uh, my acceptance into Newcastle University uh, was a year was sort of postponed by a year so I had a year off so I joined well first of all I started off by joining a band in Derby several different bands but the 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 one that is perhaps of note was a band called Guy Jones and the Uniques we were sponsored by the uh, landlord of a big pub in Derby called uh, Jimmy's or St James's Hotel I think it was and Guy Jones was uh, an Afro-Caribbean guy and the uh, owner of the pub or the manager of the pub uh, recruited a band together and provided all the equipment and set us up with a whole load of gigs around the country and we did that and then I decided okay well I've got a year off sc- between school and university I'll go down to London see if I can make it big and um, I played with various I, I mean I, I was I had very few inhibitions in those days being quite youthful so I, every day I went into into central London with my saxophone in my hand and went to various clubs like the Marquee and the Flamingo Club and places like that and approached bands and said, do you want a sax player? 
and eventually I kind of I got involved with this um, band led by a singer, uh, another Afro-Caribbean, called uh, Willie Gordon. Actually, it was called Psycho Willie Gordon. Um, <laughs> and uh, we used to practice every day in this um, basement in Notting Hill. Notting Hill was quite down at heel in those days, and you could cheaply use uh, Mr. Fullerton's basement, which was below a grocery shop. And we practiced every day, and Willie Gordon said, you know, we've got this big gig coming up in Italy, in Rome. It's going to go on for a month or two or something. So I was, we were working with that band. But the gig never seemed to come about. So then I uh, looked for looked in the Melody Maker, as it then was, and found this other band called uh, Tommy Bishop's Ricochets, who played kind of rock and roll pop songs from that time. This was in the early 60s. The um, names were wonderful back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first band was in Derby was Jet Wayne and the Cavaliers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tommy Bishop's Ricochets were advertising because they had a contract to go to Spain to play in a US Air Force base just outside Madrid in a place called Alcalá de Henares. So uh, I went along for the audition and they said, yeah, you could join the band. And then we all drove down to Spain in this clacked-out old Bedford Dormobile van. And uh, we got to Spain, to Madrid, and uh, the colonel of the Air Force Base uh, interviewed us and said uh, some of the band had got fashionably long hair at that time, down to their shoulders. Mine was getting getting that way, but wasn't quite as long as the others. He said, you monkeys ain't coming on my base with hair like that. You know, uh, you've got to get your hair cut. <laughs> uh, Tommy Bishop was a hairdresser as well as a singer. Um, so he cut the cut the hair of the band and we managed to stay there. And we played there for two or three months every night, playing to the GIs. And then it turned out that this story of us having to have our hair cut and the colonel calling us monkeys and stuff like that was on the front page of all the English newspapers. And so we uh, came rushing back to England thinking, oh, you know, this is our big opportunity. Yeah, trying to capitalise. Everything's going to happen. But of course it didn't. We came back and we were playing in youth clubs and pubs and places like that. So that's how I kind of got involved in that. Well, you must have been very proficient uh, on the saxophone, <clears throat> if that's the correct word, even at a young age. You must have. When did you first pick it up? About sixteen. I was about sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Some people um, are gifted like that musically. I think. Yeah, I don't think I was all that proficient, but I had a good ear. You know, if somebody played a tune, I could fit something in pretty well. Yeah. I didn't really know much about the theory. Well, I think that's I where the doing. gift is. I mean, in in the ear, isn't yes, it? It's, yes. it's understanding what's happening yeah. and be and being able to become a part of it, which is something that yeah. I've tried to play guitar and I I can't do it. Well, it kind of enabled me to bluff my way into bands in a yeah. way because you know people they'd I go to an audi an audition or something and they'd be playing a tune and I could immediately slot in. So they thought, well, I don't think bands mind you slotting in because there are enough egos there to start with. Aren't they? they don't want oh, yeah. you taking over, do they? No, if you can no. sort of fit in and, and yeah. be in the background or you yeah, know, whatever, so yeah, it's useful. So that was the kind of early days. Had a great time. And do you do you have a piece of music that would represent the way you feel about that time? Is there something you would like us to play now that? Represents. Well, I unfortunately, haven't got any recordings from that era of of what I was playing, all the bands were playing that I was in. What's the nearest thing you have to it? Well, I remember uh, one of the tunes we played in the US Air Force base was um, One Way Love by Cliff Bennett and the Rebel... Cliff Bennett and the Rebel Rousers, were they called? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was a, that was a, a one I, and I, I loved 
the sax line in that. Yeah. yeah you've resurrected the uh, backseat jivers. Yes. So you did say to me possibly you've got a recording. Yeah, I've got, of, we've of got that. a CD, yes. Yeah, yeah. Would, is there a track from that CD you'd like to put in um, now while we're talking about rock and roll? Okay. Um, well, there's a, a, a tune called uh, rock, rock and Ruin, which was written by my friend Clive. Right, um, okay. A, a nice rock and roll kind of yeah. number. Okay. The C the C D by the Backseat Jivers. Yeah. New Moon. New Moon. Yeah. And the track is gonna be Well the track is Rock and Ruin. Rock and Ruin. Yeah. So let's listen to Rock and Ruin by the Backstreet Jivers. Backseat Jivers. Sorry. Backseat <laughs> Jivers. You have to you have to yeah. understand the well, pun. Well that's what I said, I can cock up too as well. Yeah, but you have yeah. to understand I understand the pun, the pun. <laughs> right. yeah, straight away. Yeah. Uh yeah, okay. So here we go. Rock and Ruin. Rock and Ruin from the album New Moon by the Backseat Jivers. Featuring Steve Salter. When I was a kid, I didn't want no pedal car. No bicycle, no roller skates. I just wanted a guitar. I finally got one about the age of ten. I guess you could say my life went downhill from then. Three wrists, four chords, and hey, that's all you need.
did some radio and TV. Got ripped off by our agents and the record company. Just look at me now, kids. I'm a rolling, rocking wreck. But I've had a real good time. After you'd finished that year out, which is, I mean, it's a gap year, really, I suppose. That's it? what you'd like call it these days. Like a musical gap year, yeah. you'd call it today. Yeah. And it seems to be quite prevalent today. Yeah. You then managed to get into Newcastle University. Yeah, I'd already been accepted, so I, yeah, I had yeah. that kind of insurance when I was, yeah. when I was playing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you went there to study? Study medicine. What kind of medicine? Anything in particular? Just well, you just studied medicine, and then later on, uh, after qualifying, you could specialise, um, or be a GP, or become a, a, a specialist in one area or the other. Yeah. But at first, it's just the same for it's everybody. It's just general medicine. Just, just yeah. general medicine so, yeah. so when you'd qualified, mm. did you pick a speciality, a specialism? I did. I became, well, eventually became a, a paediatrician, which a children's specialist. Uh, I also did some time in general practice. Yeah. Right. What uh, decided you down that road? Um, like a lot of these things, it was kind of a serendipity. Um, when I was a student, in those days, if one of the junior doctors went on holiday, they'd put a medical student in the ward to to run the ward in his in the place of the hospital doctor. These days, that would be totally illegal, I imagine. So I was uh, happened to be on my medical student placement in the children's department, and the uh, the ward doctor went on holiday. So they asked me if I would do a locum for this person. I was totally unqualified to do it, but I said yes, I would do it, and I did that for two weeks, I think, and everything went so well, and I enjoyed it very much. I loved working with children, and then later on, that kind of led me to specialising in children's medicine. Right. Is it? Is, do you find that more difficult or more challenging than general practice? No, I wouldn't say I did. Again, you know, in those days, I had read the book called The Dice Man. Um, I don't know if you remember that no, book. I don't know. It was a, it was an American by an American novelist whose name I can't quite remember, who decided on the route he would follow by throwing dice. So I'd done some time in general practice. I'd also done some time in pediatrics, and I couldn't quite decide which to do. So I, I was taking some exams to specialise in paediatrics. I said, look, if I pass the exam, I'll do paediatrics. If I don't pass the exam, I'll do general practice. <laughs> I passed the exam and then uh, I was moping around because I actually wanted to do <laughs> general practice. But I, I already decided, OK, if I yeah. pass this exam, I'll do paediatrics. So I did. So were you working locally or were you working all over the country with different hospitals? Well, that time... Well, when I first started, I was in Newcastle on time. But then I decided I would go and work abroad for a, a while and uh, ended up working in Papua New Guinea, which in the this was in the early 70s, which was um, a mind-blowing experience, really, uh, for a young doctor. You know, there was I was working in a hospital with... There were four doctors and a population of a quarter of a million people. Yeah. And, of course, the country was extremely, what's the right word to use, politically correct word to use, but undeveloped, I will say. Yeah. Um, people we were working with had recently come out of Stone Age environment. Well, someone who um, used to work for me spent a month there right. uh, with the ch on behalf of the church doing voluntary work in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. And he said that everything there was designed to either bite, sting or kill you. 
<laughs> well, actually, it was a lot safer than than being uh, in many other places. I mean, we, yeah. it was a very beautiful, safe environment to be in, from my point of view. I think he meant just the insects, not the people. Oh, the insects, yeah. yeah. Well, there was still tribal warfare going on when, when we were there, but they were using uh, bows and arrows and spears yeah. rather than Kalashnikovs or nuclear yeah. bombs. Or, uh, yeah. If I can go back to, to my time in uh, medical school yes, uh, for, for a moment, because um, it's interesting for me to reflect on. But um, when I first got to medical school, they start, I was going to lectures and I was thinking, oh, you know, this is all highly interesting. But what I hadn't really figured out was I, I actually supposed to memorise all this stuff. So I was still wanting to play in a band. So I remember one day um, early on in my medical school time, I went up into the students' union, up to the music room, and there was a band playing. I liked the sound of it, so I said, uh, do you want a sax player? As I, that was, I'd already got into various bands using this uh, approach. So the guys said, well, yeah, let, let's hear you. So they were playing a tune, so I joined in. I could immediately join in, and they thought that was good. So I joined. Um, the band was called The Gas Board, and uh, <laughs> this was one of my first uh, brushes okay. with fame. The singer in the band was a young uh, art student called Brian Ferry. So I played, with, played in the band with them for a term or two, and I still hadn't realised how hard I was supposed to be working in medicine. I uh, failed my first lot of medical school exams because I was playing out with the band every night. Uh, so at that point, I unfortunately left the band. If that hadn't happened, of course, I might have been a member of... Um, um, yeah, of, uh, Roxy Music. Roxy Music, yeah. 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 Wow. Well, again, when I was in medical school, I was playing some jazz with, with a few friends and um, we decided we'd like to form a big band two or three of us started off a, a band which became really very successful called the Newcastle Big Band and um, I was a founder member of that and got involved in playing jazz with them with some very good uh, musicians. Again we had another brush with fame because uh, briefly one of our bass players in the band was uh, a young guy in a striped t-shirt called Sting. Did it take you? Did the jazz take you back to your to your real love? I mean, we 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 like lots of things, but somewhere in our heart there is something that we always respond to. What what is it with you? Is it jazz or rock and roll? I sp or a creation I suppose, of new music. Well, I yeah, I suppose in a way, I would say jazz, but playing rock and roll in a way isn't totally dissimilar. At least at least from my perspective. If you're the singer in the rock and roll band, that's one thing. But if you're the sax player, the opportunities for playing are very often is you, you do a sax solo. And that's improvised, yeah. usually. So it's not totally dissimilar to playing jazz. If you're playing in rock and roll, you've often got three chords or two chords or even one chord. So the improvising that you do is, uh, to make it interesting, uh, is in a way more difficult. What moved you around the country then? Was it your medical career or the or the music? My medical career, really. I did a little stint in Canada in a very rural location where uh, I was the only doctor for a 50-mile radius and I was in my early 20s at this stage. So that was a big responsibility. Then I went to Papua New Guinea and when I came back, uh, I was in London uh, for a while as a, as a paediatric registrar. But you always managed to find a band? Wherever uh, you were? Yes, I don't think I did when I was in London, but I was there for a year 
Yeah. But I found found Dan's in New Guinea. Yeah. So did. Dan's in New Guinea, right? I did, yeah. What about Canada? But did you find anything? No, I was only there for three or four months. I didn't play yeah. any, any oh, music there. Okay. But in New Guinea, I was mostly playing with um, other expatriates, really. Uh, other people working in the country who were who happened to be jazz musicians from Australia or Switzerland, I remember, uh, one guy from. You've travelled around the country, but now we, we are looking at another piece of music to fit in with the recording here. So can you tell me something about it? Uh, well, here's, here's a tune called uh, Thought. I wrote this together with um, a, a friend of mine called Matt Chandler. We used to um, get together occasionally and just improvise freely and from our improvising see if we could identify um, a new tune um, which we could then work on and develop. So this is one that's called Thought which, was, uh, which came about in that way. How many instruments are in it? There's, um, it's a quartet. There's me on saxophone, Matt Chandler, a very good guitar player, a lovely drummer called Clive Loveday, and um, a fantastic bass player uh, from Sheffield called uh, Richard Keats. And what do you call the ensemble? The ensemble was called Soulfield Chandler. Thank you. 
I'm told that when you go on holiday, you take your sacks with you. Is this uh, true all the time? Generally speaking, yes. I've got, um, you know, my main instrument is the tenor sax, which is quite big and cumbersome to carry around. But I've also got a soprano saxophone, which is a curved soprano, which is almost like a pocket instrument. Um, So I usually put that in a suitcase and uh, see who I can end up playing with if we go somewhere. And where do you play when you're on holiday? Street corner or...? Well, it's um, where, whatever happens. Um, I mean, recently I was in Madrid, and I'd heard that there was a an open mic session at um, a certain bar. I went down there, and actually, the bar was closed. Um, but uh, well, it was well, it was open actually, but they weren't having a, a, an open mic session, and there were some young. Uh, Spanish guys are probably in their 20s who also had turned up with guitars to play and they were disappointed that there was no open mic session so we all ended up playing in a square in Madrid. And uh... Did you earn any money at it? Oh, no, no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> no one throwing coins? Uh, no, no. no. But we had, a, yeah, we had a, an appreciative audience, so that yeah. was fun. Well, that's yeah. good. So you've been around the world and you've come back to England more or less to settle with your career. And where did you settle when you'd done travelling? Um, in Sheffield, really. Yeah, I spent 25 years uh, living in Sheffield and playing with various different bands. Were you at the well Sheffield as, Children's? I was, at the, I was at the Sheffield Children's and then became a consultant in Rotherham. Okay, but so you found plenty of bands to play with in Sheffield? Well, I did. I mean, I must, you know, being a, having a, a, a busy career and also a young family, uh, there was a quite a quite a stage of my life where there was very little time for music but as things kind of settled down uh, I got involved again with some with local musicians in Sheffield some very you know a lot of lot of different very good musicians who I played with there's a lot of talent in Sheffield yes yeah yeah it's just finding it that's the problem (laughs) well well when I was uh, um, when I was a teenager or early 20s just about every pub in Sheffield that, that was of any size you yes. used to have a band on two yes. or three times a week. So yeah. there, were, there were lots of opportunities. And yes. you, could, you, could, you knew where to find people. Yeah. The way I got involved in it again in Sheffield really was um, uh, having had a few years where I didn't do much playing. I went to um, uh, a jazz workshop that was uh, organised for a weekend. I enjoyed that, play, played, played some jazz. And there was a, a couple of people there, um, a drum, very good drummer called Phil Naylor, who's actually a member of the Backseat Jivers now, and his partner, uh, Jane Stimson, who was a trumpet player. And they approached me after this workshop and said, you know, we, we, they had a band called Jaywalk and they liked my playing and would I join the band? So I did. And um, as you were saying, a lot of pub music going on. The pub at the end of my road was the Grindstone in Crooks. Uh, I so, it well. Yeah, so I went in there <laughs> one day, the one evening, and sort of spoke to the landlord. Said, "How do you fancy having some jazz in the pub?" And uh, he was uh, supportive. So we had a weekly gig in in the grindstone there for several years. Right. Yeah. Just on the snow line. Uh, yeah. Yes. Did you did you know did you notice that when you lived there? Oh that, yeah, yeah. That they can be raining up to the grindstone. Yeah. And snowing once yeah. you go past. Yeah. It. Well, I lived in Tapton House Road, which is just yeah. just near the grindstone, yeah. and yes, we were above the snow line. While you had this fallow spell mm. where you were bringing up young children and you were working hard at the hospital, yeah. and you weren't playing, did you yeah. ever stop 
being creative with the music? Was it, was it always running in the back of your head? Because when I'm not writing physically at the computer, mm. it's always playing away in the back of my head, mm. which makes life complicated when people are trying to talk to you and yes. you're not listening. Yes. Did, did, did you, uh, I know you write your own music and I know you improvise a lot. Was, was this working all the time, did you find? Well, in a, it, only in the sense that I was still playing. I mean, I used to still go to my room and play on my own. And just, yeah. Just, no, I was still playing. And I mean, I, I love telling this story because um, I would be playing in my room and in order to... I often play along with records or with recordings of um, world-famous jazz musicians. And I used to love it when my kids used to come into the room and tell me to turn the music down. Yeah, so I was always... I, I, I never put the instrument away totally. With another band that you're in, and you're another one of these musicians of multiple bands, or a member of multiple bands, you have one by the name of Jet Collective. I, I did quite a lot of playing with um, a jazz pianist called Wendy Kirkland, who's based, Amazing. In, based in Chesterfield. Yeah. And, and also with a guy called Pat Sprakes, on, who's a guitarist and double bass player, who, who is now Wendy's husband, but wasn't at, at the time I'm talking about. I did quite a lot of playing with them, and I remember saying uh, that I was interested in joining a, a jazz collective. I'd heard about these jazz collectives that were going on in London and were coming out with all kinds of interesting new music. And Wendy said, uh, oh, I know some people who, who've started a jazz collective, uh, Reg Clegg and Karen Clegg who are based uh, in the Nottingham area. And so uh, I got in touch with them. And they said, uh, yes, we're, we're starting a collective. The idea is that we've got a band, you've got a band, you could get us some gigs and we could get you some gigs. I said, yeah, but that's not really the kind no. of collective that I'm, I'm interested in. I'm interested in a collective to create new music. And they said, oh, that's an interesting thought. They hadn't thought about that. So we got together and we also were working with Wendy Kirkland and Pat Sprakes and, and a few other people. Initially, I think there were about eight or nine of us that formed this collective. We then thought, okay, well, what are we going to do? And we came up with this idea of a theme. And the theme that we chose was, um, was Derbyshire. And that was a very loose, loose idea. You know, it could be about the, the scenery. It could be about in, the industrial heritage, the folk music from Derbyshire, uh, anything so we, each of us went away and, and the idea was we'd come back with two or three ideas. Well, it's very varied yeah. as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't exactly say wrote a piece. I had the concept for a piece uh, which I, was called Mills, Hills, Mines and Moors, which was actually a very free form of jazz. But there were also pieces in there that were based on folk music and much more uh, composed music. Hmm. Well, if you'd like, we can now play Mills, Hills, Mines and Moors right. from that CD. And the CD is called... The Derbyshire Suite. Thank you. 
So partway through Hills, Mills, Mines and Moors, or Mills, Hills, Mines and Moors, whichever one I am wrong with, we then introduced a short section from Eam. Now, Eam was the plague village in Derbyshire, allegedly. So what was it about Eam that inspired you on that piece of music? Well, actually, this piece of music wasn't... I I didn't write it. Uh, um, It was written by somebody else in the Jet Collective, Karen Clegg. It might have been Karen and Reg. Yeah. Who were a couple. They might have both written it together, I'm not sure. And what was the inspiration, do you know? Um, I think it was about the, the, the plague history. Karen is a keyboard, well, she plays, she's a multi-instrumentalist. She plays keyboard, flute, uh, but she's also a very good singer. There are words on Eam that uh, describe, you know, her inspiration of why she's written a tune about it or a song about it. Yeah, I've heard Jet Collective play now twice, I think. Mm-hmm. One was in the church hall at Winston. Right. With in the church itself. In the church, yeah. It? yeah mm. Where the acoustics were incredible. Yeah, fantastic, yes. Yeah. How many would there have been in the lineup? At that time, I think there were eight or nine. I think uh, the process of uh, of the Jet Collective was very kind of time intensive because people were coming up with their own ideas and then getting together and then refining it and so on. And two or, two or three of the members decided that uh, they weren't able to put in the at that amount of time, and so the Jet Collective slimmed itself down to a membership of um, about six by the time we did our second recording which was called jet stream yeah you recorded that at mansfield we did yes yeah. in, a, in a in a recording studio in mansfield yeah i oh, did in recording I've, I've heard you play in mansfield at, yes uh, at a like a little civic hall or something in, yes in yes. the center of mansfield what is it i mean th- there was sort of <laughs> <laughs> there was more instrumentation in electronics than audience, I think. There were, yes. Yeah, so I mean, it, was, it was a yeah, very crowded little stage. It's, sort, have of, to, it's I, sort of very equipment-heavy. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. Band, I, yes. I have to say that um, having heard it live twice, I don't think there's a better way to listen to it. Well, I found myself completely immersed in the music and just sort of vibrating along with it. I mean, that might have been the equipment, I'm not sure. But it, I, I just found myself fascinated with every every piece because the way it's written you don't know what's coming next yeah so uh, well i'm not surprised you don't know what's coming next because well, yeah, the, well, the people who are playing the music don't know what's coming next well either. yeah that's, that's yeah, fair yeah. Tell, tell me a little about Jetstream. what's it about again we decided to have a theme and the, the theme was going to be climate and the weather as we were called the jet collective I came up with the idea that maybe theme or the album could be called could be called Jet Stream because the jet stream is a current of air uh, up in the stratosphere which goes round and round the Earth and it moves north and south um, between I think uh, sort of the North Pole and and more or less the latitude where we are in the UK and if the if if you're south of the jet stream you tend to have quite warm, pleasant weather, and if you're north of the jet stream, cold and not such pleasant weather. So this album is largely about potential climate change? Is that- yes, yes, climate change and, and climate generally. Yeah, it doesn't, not, not only about the, you know, the uh, big concern about climate change, but about, about the weather. And you wrote a piece for this? I wrote, uh, yes, uh, sort of three or, two or three pieces for and that. And they were? Uh, well, one is called Jetstream. I wrote Glaciology and Seven Seasons. Oh, and Tropo. But actually, my favourite track from the album is is one that is not one that I wrote. I mean, play I play on the wall. 
one uh, written again by Reg and Karen Pavlips called Solar Storm. Just presented me with a CD called GPS. Would you like to tell us something about it? Please? Yes, GPS is a trio, and the members are Graham Jones. That's the G. He's Pete, a bass player. He's a bass player. Yeah, excellent. Be- very a beautiful bass player. Pete Moxley. He's the P, pianist, who's yeah. a very good pianist. And S, which is Steve Soulfield himself. Who's on. he? Oh, quiet. I don't know. Never heard of him. A, sax- <laughs> a saxophone player and. We've, allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've done uh, a lot of work together over over a good many years, and our repertoire is uh, generally based on jazz standards and uh, also introduced some uh, music from more recent um, composers. Uh, we don't generally play original music, but we have made a recording of jazz standards, and I think and it was recorded in Winster Church, Oh, well, because the because superb, we, yeah. we love the acoustics yeah. of that place uh, so much and the, the sound is so nice I'd, I'd like to include a little bit of uh, of one of these 
uh, an improvised section of uh, one of these uh, tunes. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Can you give us a title? Well, if I'm allowed to, yes. Uh, we'll do a little bit of um, nostalgia in Times Square. Yeah. And maybe a little section of um, suicide is painless. Oh, right. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. Mash. Mash, in all yes. its glory. The mash theme. Yeah. yeah. Went on twice as long as the Korean War. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> was a nice little compilation from GPS. Can I 
just see the front of the... Yes, uh, GPS, Graham, Pete and Steve, but yeah. also uh, the cover is um, a painting by uh, my wife, Jackie. The background to it is a beautiful stained glass window in Winster Church, ah. uh, which is a very modern one, uh, unlike most stained glass church windows. And the foreground is um, a, pa a painting of uh, Graham, Pete and myself. This prolific output of yours is taking place at what stage of your life? Is this post-work? Well, I, as, as I've said, I've been playing music you know, most of my life in uh, different circumstances and different, different bands. But I retired from medicine relatively early at the age of 55. For a lot of years, I'd been aware that I had multiple sclerosis. Uh, still at work while, uh, while, while I had the, this problem. But it got to the point where I didn't want, to, didn't really feel that I wanted to carry on working anymore, partly because of that, and partly because I wanted more time for music. And um, so I retired early at the age of 55, and that gave me a lot more time for music. I wouldn't say I've got a prolific output, but I'm, you know, I've been playing steadily, and most of the recording that I've done been since I retired, and had time to focus on that. Was the transition uh, difficult to make between work and? So. No, it was incredibly easy. Yes. Um, <laughs> Most people struggle. Yes. I enjoyed my work, but it had become a mixed kind of blessing. Um, I enjoyed the clinical work, but working in the, in the National Health Service, I found, was quite a, a struggle against bureaucracy. found that the NHS was a big, cumbersome machine to be working in. And whenever I had an idea of how, to, how I wanted to develop the service that that the department I was in was providing, it was like steading, like treading treacle. Um, you had to convince this committee and that committee, and uh, people would say, "Oh no, we 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 don't think we should make that those changes." And eventually, you know, looking back, a lot of changes happened. A lot of the things that I wanted to do happened, but it was very very difficult to make it happen. So I was quite relieved in a way to be out of it, and I had many other things that I wanted to do with my time and music being. To the forefront, um, but I've also done some writing and uh, various other uh, things that I wanted to do. So that you know, it was a very easy transition to make. Well, I'm going to take you now all the way back to when you were 16, and you had a decision to make, mm. and the decision was music or medicine, mm. and you chose medicine. Mm. Do you ever, or have you ever regretted that decision? That's a tough one to answer because uh, I'm not a person who regret. I think regret is a wasteful emotion. I'd rather look forward and decide what I'm going to do uh, in the future rather than look back and say, oh, I should have done this or should have done that. There are moments when I think, oh, I could have been the sax player in Roxy Music. Yeah. Or, or the police. <laughs> or yeah. the police, yeah. yeah. And uh, what fun that would have been, but... A more realistic thing is that I probably would have been a jobbing musician going around from one pub to the the other all around the country, earning very little money and having a very kind of unsettled lifestyle. Medicine given me a huge amount. I mean, I hope I've given medicine uh, some something as well, but it's enabled me to work in different parts of the world, see things that I you know would never have seen otherwise. And I don't regret it at all. But on the other hand, I do sometimes think the time and the energy um, that I've put into medicine 
uh, if I had put that into music, where would I have been with my playing? You know, probably uh, a lot further advanced than I am at the moment. Well, I've heard you play, Stephen, many times, and I think you're amazing, to be honest. I, I do love your improvisation because, unlike a lot of jazz musicians, you never lose the plot. <laughs> well, that, that might matter. I'm glad it appears that way well, from, <laughs> from the audience's point but of from, view. From my uneducated yeah. point of view, yeah. I, I, I can always follow where you're... Not where you are, but where you're working back to, because that's right. that's the thing, isn't it? It's about getting out of the improvisation, back into the into the melody again, isn't it? Right. Well, yeah. thank you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy what I do. Um, I, I thoroughly from enjoy the musician's point, from my point of view, and I, I have, I've talked to other musicians about this as well. It's very hard to be satisfied with your playing. You can always think about, um, uh, you know, what you what you could have done. I think, especially with improvising because it's so much of the moment and then you think oh yes actually you know uh, if i if i had the opportunity to do that again i would have done it differently well, i said i never regret things and yeah. probably regret isn't quite the what i'm trying to say but it's difficult to be satisfied with your playing it's difficult to be satisfied in any sort of creative endeavor I well, think, at least a musician you've got another gig you can well you've got you another gig the next saturday and play that's true but I think that there is a difference in that when you're writing or when you're painting, you can redraft it or you can paint over that and change it. Before it gets to the audience. Before it gets to the audience. Yeah, that's the and and if you're a classical composer, you can as well. But if you're an improviser, what you put out is out. You don't have the opportunity to take it back and say, actually, I didn't mean that. Yeah, I meant yeah. to do it slightly differently. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. Well, I, I always thought that you, you're extremely exposed as a musician. If you're um, play, a straight musician, as they say, you know, playing what some, some dots that are written down, as long as you are fully able to play that music, you know, if you're a professional musician, you can play that music. Mm. But when you're improvising, it's instantaneous. It's out there and you can't pull it back. Which is much the same as your decision to go into medicine. You can't pull that back. You spent most of your life in oh, yeah. in medicine. Yeah. And now, I think, you're thoroughly enjoying your retirement. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 And it's enabled you to get back to maybe where your first love really was. And uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. A, nice, a nice sentiment, nice way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you very much, Steve. Steve Salfield. Thank you, Bill. Man of many talents. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you, Bill. Steve's blowing us out of what I laughingly call the studio here. There are one or two things he'd like me to point out, and they are Rock and Ruin features Clive Harvey on vocals, Graham Jones on double bass, and Phil Neela on drums. On Eam and Solar Storm from Jet Collective, there are also Paul Biggins and Simon Beckett on percussion. <laughs> Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. 
And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a <coughs> from Nelly. Goodbye. Thank you.